Welcome, everybody, to Dead Talk Live. And tonight, we have two very special guests, Adam Schindler and Brian Nito. Guys, thank you so much for being on our show. Adam and Brian, how are you guys doing? Excellent. Yeah, excellent. Uh, again, again, thank you so much for being on our show. And before we dive into your guys' work, you mm-hmm. guys have a long work history together. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm really curious to find out how that started and how it's continued throughout the years. Uh, let's go with Adam first. Sure. Uh, it started uh, 36, 37 years ago. Uh, we uh, met in fourth grade. So uh, we've, we've, been, we've been good friends, best friends since literally fourth grade. So um, we met in fourth grade. In, we grew up in Minnesota, suburb of Woodbury, outside of uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh, we met in fourth grade over a love of, you know, comic books and genre movies and the such. And uh, we became fast friends. And I think it was around junior high. We were bored one summer, and my parents had a VHS camera. I don't know where we got the idea to make a movie, but we decided, hey, this is a good way to to burn some time so let's uh let's just make a movie and we made a terrible ripoff of child's play with a cabbage patch doll with a cabbage patch doll literally um and uh it's just kind of been non-stop ever since i mean this is you know this is in the 80s obviously and then you know we went into high school and when our friends were saving money to buy you know a, a used car or whatever we were buying video cameras we were just like the video geeks yeah. and uh yeah that's that's what we did, and then we just you know, it just steamrolled from there. We, you know, back in the early '90s in, in high school, in the mid '90s, um, we didn't have the access to the internet like we did now. Mm-hmm. We do now, where you can just find all that information just at a touch of a button. Mm-hmm. So we were doing, you know, they had a thing called Film in the Cities, which is like film courses downtown Minneapolis, which our parents would like take us to, <laughs> to like learn how to do all that stuff. We were just in it. We were trying to write little stories, running around in our backyard, just. A lot of times it was just Brian and I like, okay, you shoot. Now it's my turn. There's like each movie only had two characters in it because that's all we had. If you think had... the filmmaking process is boring when you're an adult and it's a lot of, you know, <laughs> sit around and waiting, try to explain to other 9, 10, 11, 12-year-olds, all right, you have to wait here while we do this. and We're going to go shoot this. And they're just attention span of a gnat. No interest. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's why it was it was usually us. And, and so it's tough to make a film with, with two people, but – I think more than anything, when we look back on that stuff, we realized that um, it was our film school because when you go to film school, it, it let us understand uh, how do you make a lot with a little. I mean, and when I say a lot, these were these <laughs> these were not these were not uh, amazing films, but I think it taught us like how to get creative. We didn't, you know, it was just a bunch of 10, 12, 11 year old kids running around trying to um, tell a story with, with just one person on camera, one person right. behind it. So. Trying to remake El Mariachi, you know. I remember going yeah. to the Bell Auditorium at University of Minnesota, watching El Mariachi, and then our movies for the next year were all like, you know, dr- r- dramatic r- pan-ups and rip-offs of everything we could do. Could but do I, I think that is amazing that you guys are childhood friends that had this mm-hmm. shared interest, and here you are, thirty, almost forty years later, and mm-hmm. that work relationship has developed into this. And I think that's just fascinating now brian mm-hmm. uh did you guys both share a love for horror going mm-hmm. way back or is that something that developed as the years went on 
Definitely. Yeah, I mean, I, I think from the very beginning it was horror. But, I mean, just, I guess, genre films in general. I don't know why we gravitated to horror. I, I can't explain why. I think probably because it's so visceral and it's, when you're young, you're always looking for thrills. You want to laugh. You want to cry. You want to jump. And so, um, but even, you know, I, I was born in New Jersey, but we lived there before. That's how when we first met. I, I moved to Minnesota. That's when we first met. But even before then, before we moved there, I have, you know, pictures that my mother kept of me drawing, you know, characters at cemeteries and this and that. So why I was, why I gravitated to that as a young kid, I have no idea, but it was really always about that. It was always about, you know, it was, it was stuff like, um, like I said, we did it. We did a child's play ripoff, probably hadn't even seen child's play at the time, but we knew what it, we knew the concept, you know, and so we were just trying to mimic it. So it was, yeah, it was always, it was always that for whatever reason I haven't, we haven't tried to dissect why that is, but it's stuck around till this day. So, you know, I guess it was just in our blood from the beginning. Now, Adam, I got to ask yep. you this. Now, when you guys were doing, as kids, this Child's Play ripoff, or <laughs> there any other follow-up, uh, you know, amateur horror videos, did you guys use, like, for blood, any kind of special, you know, effects? Well, well it started off with ketchup because we were 10 years old and no, knew nothing else. But there was a, um, I do remember, and I think it's actually still there. In St. Paul, there's a magic uh, store. Twin Cities Magic and Costume. I don't know how I remember that. But they had a whole section of like fake blood and prosthetics and whatever. So as we got more involved and and, and our ideas got bigger and more elaborate, you know, I would spend many a Saturday afternoon down there begging my mom to buy me like, you know, this pint of fake blood and this like <laughs> prosthetic bullet wound and this prosthetic cut. And so we spent a lot of time doing that. Um but it was, you know, it was, yeah, it just steamrolled from there. It's just, you you learn, you know, like Brian said earlier, um, it really was our film school. We did, Brian and I, neither of us went to film school. We went to college, but not film school specifically. And just learning how to be resourceful and how to shoot a movie with two people and how to frame a shot. Like, yeah. I don't know, if you, just, you just learn how to do it. And, you know, I still have those. And no, it's not going to show the see the light of day. It's not going on YouTube. I'm never showing this to anybody else other than family. But looking back on that stuff, and I've seen it recently because I was digitizing some VHS stuff for my parents, and I stumbled across it. And I was like looking at it, I was like, I mean, it's terrible, absolutely terrible. But I was like, we were framing shots back then. Like we, we just it was had an instinct. Yeah, yeah, it was just an instinct. Yeah. Like, oh, that's But the one thing that's also transition? carried, a lot of stuff is carried over, but the other stuff, like I talk about El Mariachi, we, we – watch you know read his book and later in the years but what we did was watch how he like so we bought a like he had a wrestling belt so i, I he famously put like wrestling belts or, or belts for when you're lifting weights he would tie a little um explosive to it you had a power so we would try all that stuff we yeah. were so i think more than anything i think what we had is a real passion for just all facets of storytelling we would buy the scores for all the films that were out at the time and, and cut and cut those into the openings of the films which is all done in camera because we didn't have you know we would yeah I remember once creating like a blue screen where we would shoot something, put it on our VHS or on our, on our VHS on our television, shoot it in front of the television and then use that again. We were we were just experimenting. But more than anything, it was just we were teaching ourselves our, how to be storytellers. And again, these were not great films, but more than anything, it's just it's like the learning right, you... experience. It's something that Absolutely. you really Absolutely. cannot even get at school. It's to be out there okay. trying uh, seeing what works and doesn't work. And I have no idea how you guys use the green screen 
with VHS technology and without digital recording software to well, edit it? What we, what we did was we took a filmed a camera just kind of going all over the place because we were trying to film an arrow flying through the air. Like we were, we were inspired that. by Sam Raimi. Um, and so we would, so we filmed all over the place. You take that, you put that on the, on a VHS because it was a VHS tape at the time. You mm -hmm. film the screen doing that, but you put an arrow in front of it. So it mimics the idea of the arrow through flight. So we would cut that in, but we had to do that all in camera. So we had to do that moment cap and then cap you know, capture the, the arrow chasing uh -huh. after one of us. So again, all that, you know, it was. That it was is the definition of innovation right there. Yeah, very, we were very, cutting edge folks. <laughs> this is like before ILM we are cutting edge now it was but yeah it's taking chances and and being um aggressively naive and 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 excited and just going you know there was no like you can't do this we we're like uh, uh well why we'll not figure out a way we'll just figure out a, yeah why not we'll yeah. figure out a way to do it maybe it's terrible maybe it's not but why not and also there was nobody you know this was before we thought this was a career we were just having fun exactly you know what i mean so we weren't thinking we weren't thinking anyone was going to see these no one was waiting on them we weren't some prodigies that were also all of a sudden you know people were expecting us to turn out great stuff it, it was for us it was seen by us and our parents god bless them for watching for watching them uh but it was just for us. It was it was the definition of like you said, a passion. Now and, uh, you said it was fun. I'm gonna ask this question before I go on to my next question. Is it still fun today? Oh God, yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah, Adam. Hell yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah hell yeah, hell yeah. What no, would other, you... no, no other thing. No other thing. I for all the ups and downs that the industry can can provide you, there is nothing I would not I would want to do more than this. Awesome. No, I, I love it. I love it. I love it. Now, what would you guys say was your quote unquote first professional project? Brian, I'll oh. throw that to you. Well, we were we paid to well, I think we we were paid to write something for for an artist to illustrate. We paid to, we were paid to write a treatment outline for for a world that a friend of ours we had met at Comic-Con he was a very skilled artist, still a very skilled artist. Uh, we, we were paid to write that for him. That was the first time we were paid to write anything. And I think that was a sense of pride in that. Yeah. The lesson we took from that, and we didn't, weren't paid much, but the lesson we took from that was when you are paying something, paying someone for something that they consider their craft and something that they love to do, you are gonna get their, you're going to get their best as opposed to a lot of times you're pulling together uh, small films and you're asking for favors, you're asking people to show up for free. The feeling we had cashing that check, it was not much. But the feeling we had cashing that check, it meant the world to us. And I think that was a lesson we took when we made our first film, Delivery. So Delivery, segueing to, to, to Delivery, mm -hmm. um, that was our first, although we we, we paid for that ourselves, <laughs> that was our first professional, That was I would say that was probably our first, our first professional production because although we paid for it, we built it like a real production. We had insurance, we had caterers, we hired our crew, we didn't pay them much. If anyone in our crew is watching this, we love you guys. Thank you for for. For, for breaking your backs for us for that film. But that was our first production that we built after a years of kind of working on other people's projects and just learning how the industry uh -huh. works. We built the production. We mimicked it. We kind of, we tailored it after how we saw larger productions built. We built it for, we did it for ourselves on a much, much smaller scale. Yeah. And, and that was, we treated it like a real film. And, and to that, to that point, like a lot of times smaller films, what they'll do is they'll have to shoot on available days. We said, no, we're going to block off two days of two weeks we're going to take time off work. We're going to get these people in so that we're getting them in a really consolidated amount of time. Uh -huh. They're in, they're out, they're done, like a traditional film. 
So all of those things, we all those lessons that we took from working on other productions and just learning how Hollywood worked from the time moving out, we took it and applied to that. And I and it, without a doubt, it helped us because, um, yeah, I, it just it, without a doubt, it, it helped it helped us. The biggest thing we learned, you know, in regards to that whole thing is, you know, even if you're paying somebody twenty dollars mm-hmm. to come it means the world because we know how we felt when we got paid to do this to write this thing and we were like man i'm, I'm gonna do the best damn job i can do on this thing because this yeah. dude's paying us and like this feels legit so if you're putting together a short film or a you're trying to put together your first feature or whatever even if you're paying somebody 50 bucks a day to come we knew that if we were paying somebody they were going to show up yeah and if you're not paying somebody somebody gets up and goes oh you know i'm having a bad day i'm just gonna like not go they're not paying me anyways yeah but you're paying somebody 50 bucks they'll show up it means something they'll show it up means it means something i'm sorry to interrupt i see someone writing on the chat and she wants to ask a question ariel i don't mean to jump you but no. i just she was saying can i ask a question can they, are they seeing us and i'm like we see you so ask your question maybe we'll, we'll answer it okay <laughs> i want to ask these guys something but i'm scared i don't even know if they can see the chat well they can you can see the chat i'm new at talking on youtube and things and she's encouraged to say uh so she's gone she hasn't asked it yet but i'll keep an eye to see yeah, if yeah, she does ask it. It don't but, be afraid yeah. ariel just go ahead and ask your question so I want to start, we're going to get to delivery, but I want to start with 50 States of Fright, okay? Uh, thank you guys, by the way, for sending me that screener to that episode. It was a wild nine and a half minutes, uh, that <laughs> short. I loved it. It had a great mixture of character storytelling, blood, gore, and combined. And it was only like, it was just under 10 minutes. Now, describe, uh, let's go with Adam. Describe to us what 50 States of Fright is, um, according to IMDb, to three shorts, uh, three episodes, each of them being shorts. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Whose concept was that? Is that something you guys were asked to do? Just tell us how it, yeah. what it is. Yeah, we'll tell you how it came together. Um, so it's um, Sam Raimi. Uh, it's Sam Remy's show. He originally it was orig- originally conceptualized for Quibi. If anybody knows what that is, yeah. got Quibi. Um, so, which was uh, basically a network for your phone, is how it was sold. So it was originally um, done for that. Quibi has since folded, but Roku Channel has picked up all the the uh, Quibi a lot of the Quibi uh, content. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, it should be coming out on Roku uh, shortly. I don't know exactly, but we've been told shortly. Yeah, to um, my surprise, so- actually, this show is on the Roku channel. My distributor didn't even tell me. Okay. <laughs> All right. We're part of the same family. Well, they're, well, they're part of the same family. All right. Uh-huh. Uh, exactly. So, exactly. It's the same type of thing. But it was originally conceptualized by a, a number of people, and, and Sam Raimi came aboard. He shot the first episode. And basically what it was meant to be and what it is is – Short horror stories, uh, you know, 50 states of fright, taking urban legends, horror stories from 50 states and turning them into, you know, ep- episodic television. Mm-hmm. And the way it was recorded for Quibi was they're in, you know, what they called quick bites. So ours was three chapters. It's each chapter is like eight, seven, eight minutes long. So you can get quick bites of information or quick stories to, and the hope was that you would watch it on the go, like you're on the bus or in the bank, you're watching an episode. Oh, I got this. Roku is going to put them together. You'll be able to watch it on your television, which is always how we kind of like, that's how we shot it. Our episode is 
is large and there's a lot that goes on and it it's better watched on a television to be completely honest or movie screen um but yeah that's that was the concept you know hopefully it does well on roku because i've seen roku has picked up some other the quibi stuff for other seasons mm -hmm. and they have you know amy did the first episode we have beckon woods who from quiet place ryan spindell did an episode um the mortuary collection which just came out he did an episode um there's a lot of really, really talented uh, filmmakers that have done takes on horror stories from their given state. You know, we lucked out. We pitched a story from our home state of Minnesota, and luckily we're selected as like, we like that. We love that. We want to do that. So we were just high-fiving at the fact that we get to do our, our home state. Yoko Okamura, who is also a Minnesota filmmaker, she did the Kansas episode. Uh, great episode. I mean... There's a lot of really, uh, really unique, really cool stories, really well done. So check it out on Roku when it comes out yeah. within the next month and a half. I mean, it's really, it's like up there. It's, it, I'm, you know. Yeah, it's so the quality is fantastic. The quality is. It, I mean, the episode that I, so Brian, when, mm -hmm. uh, if you look on IMDb, it says 50 states, 50 uh, states of fright came out in 2020, but that's not accurate. Uh, so you guys don't have uh, yet a date when this will be available to the public? Well, well, it came out on Quibi, which was, you know, the, the service lasted a couple of months. So mm -hmm. for those who saw it, wasn't many. That's when it was Thank available. you for watching. But, yeah, <laughs> thanks for watching those for those who did see it, though. Uh, but yeah, 20, so yeah, like a month and a half. From what, what we understand, it's going to be dropping right around Halloween. Roku has a much larger reach than Quibi did. Mm -hmm. So I think it'll find a larger audience. And, and it's just fun. I think... You know, our episode, it's it's three, you know, it's just like a commercial break, right? So mm -hmm. it's like three, nine, eight-minute episodes. It comes out to about 25 minutes altogether. So it's like a half an hour of television, mm -hmm. like a black mirror. So, you know, we watch it all together. And um, and I think all the episodes vary in from 10, 15, 20 minutes. But yeah. it was, it was like I got upset for the fact that we got to do our home state. Yeah. Uh, Great Cloud Island was something that, that was in the same county as us, probably – 15, 20 minutes from my house was Great Cloud Island. So it was it was cool to tell, you know, Minnesota, obviously, people think of Fargo, <laughs> they, which, which we love. They think of the Coen brothers who who obviously are, are you know, we're, we're fans of them. But I don't think yet there had been anything that had put a stamp on, on Minnesota as, in terms of a horror story. So we were just hoping that we could have uh, kind of an entry point into that conversation. So we were happy on a couple of fronts, happy to work with Ramey, who's an idol, and uh, of ours and somebody that we've um, stole one of the li yeah. liberally <laughs> one of, and one of the coolest people you'll meet that still is the giddy filmmaker that made evil dead like it's just still that guy and now that that warmed our heart we were you know you get concerned sometimes you meet your idols and this and that and it's not what you imagine but he's now, still that guy speaking of Raimi, you know here's this i mean huge filmmaker uh for me, it was kind of surprising that he's interested in doing shorts. Did that surprise you guys as well? Well, I mean, I think with the industry, with the way the industry is going now, it's just, it's there's so many different avenues to tell your stories. So for a long time, miniseries were gone. Now mm -hmm. they're back. Yeah. You know, features now, I think a lot of people now are focused on television series, but features are going to circle back around again. So I think for him, frankly, he had an opportunity. He probably hadn't made a, a feature in a while or hadn't shot anything that I was aware of in a while. He had an opportunity to go and play in, in the genre that everyone loves and reveres him for, 
And he had an opportunity to tell a story he probably wanted to tell, but didn't know how we could tell it in a larger format. So he had this opportunity to do it in 20 something minutes. So I think most filmmakers, honestly, I mean, with the way things are going now, especially with the pandemic, where so much of our stuff is digested on the television screen. Yeah. They, we just want our stuff to be seen. I'm talking yeah. we as in Adam and I, but yeah. most filmmakers, they just exactly. want it to be seen. They don't, we don't really care anymore how it's seen, how it's digested. So as we said, our episode started off for phone consumption. Now it's on a television screen. Yeah. And so it'll look so much better. The series looks great. It'll look so much better on a television. But people really, filmmakers really, we would all we would all love to have our films open wide across the country on a on a uh -huh. on a on a big screen. Everyone will tell you that. Everyone. But I but think those that, days are. Those days are, yeah. they were going the way of the dodo before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. It was just a slow, I mean, it, the, the, I think it accelerated when that happened. Yeah. So um, to answer, I, we weren't really surprised. I think, I think more than anything, I can say this much, just from talking with him briefly, um, we had, we had an opportunity to kind of get together with all of the filmmakers for like a mini rap party. He just loves horror. He loves young filmmakers. And so I think he was just as excited to kind of see who was going to come in and I mean, you, you want everyone to succeed, but there's always a sense of like, all right, we want to make sure that we impress. Yeah. Sam, we want to make sure that we have the best episode. There's a sense uh -huh. of competition, but at the same time, there was, a, there was a really deep sense of camaraderie because we were all up there relative at the same time. We spent a lot of time with each other with a certain segment of filmmakers that we consider friends now. So um, you, want to, you want to show out a little bit. You want to make sure that you have an episode that lives up to Sam's. Yeah. Um, and so I just think he was happy to be around some young blood. I'll be perfectly honest. And then certainly at, shortly after that, he did, you know, he just jumped into Doctor Strange again. So he's back in, um, in Featureland. So um, not that surprised. I think people are just, they just want to shoot. They want to work. Awesome. And you could tell, yeah. I've never met him yet. I haven't met him yet, but you could just hearing, you know, all the stories about Sam and just how enthusiastic he is about the craft. Great word. And Great work. he loves it. Yeah. Now let's talk about your guys's Fifty States of Fright episode without giving away any spoilers. Right. I loved the whole. Well, the trailer did that already. <laughs> <laughs> I loved the whole concept of the uh, college hazing uh, fraternity initiation yeah. in the woods, island, creepy. You guys wrote that. It was you two that wrote that episode, right? Yeah, we wrote and directed it. Yeah. What? Mm -hmm. So, Adam, I'm going to ask you this. What was the inspiration for the island, the college, uh, fraternity hazing, and so on? Well, not giving uh, you know much away, but you know, like Brian said, Great Cloud Island was really close. We were, we uh, grew up in Woodbury, Minnesota. Great Cloud Island is, you know, 15 minutes from where we grew up. Although we never really went to Great Cloud Island when we were growing up, we did hear rumors. You hear rumors about all types of things happening on that island. It was, you know, it was literally a grab bag of, of possible things from hauntings to, you know, CIA to UFOs. I mean, they just there was a whole bunch of rumors. Like the about Bermuda Triangle of the Midwest. Bermuda Triangle of the Midwest. Yeah, great way to put it, Brian. Um, so we crafted our. So we thought, okay, we knew this pitch was coming up. Like, what are some urban legend stuff? And we remembered this, and we did some research. What are different urban legends all over there? And we kept going back to Great Cloud Island just because it was just bizarre because it just – it was kind of anything. You could create anything out of it. Um, and that's exactly what we did. We said, what if you know, what if this island was uh, – all these rumors were a, a front for something else that yeah. was going on. So we were like, okay, how would you – you know, what would you think? How would you get people to that island that felt, feels organic? to the island to experience whatever this is. 
like uh, hazing, perfect. I mean, we had all gone through college. We, Brian and I were neither of us were really in fraternities, but mm-hmm. you know, my college, Augsburg College, was like literally across the street from University of Minnesota. So I've been to those parties. I've seen all that stuff. We know how that works. We've seen plenty of movies where we know how that works. We're like, this is a perfect in. Three, four unsuspecting, you know, guys hazing on an island. Chaos ensues. Exactly. And uh, and yeah, so that's we we just wanted to make it fun. Fast, fun, 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 fast, scary, all the stuff that we love when we go in to see these type of movies and, you know, a nod to Sam Raimi again, all that kind of stuff. Like his stuff is fun. It's fast. It's brutal. It's gory. And, and you're leaving, you're leaving the uh, theater feeling you exactly. know, full. And, and coming from a lifelong horror fan as myself, not much in terms of plot twists surprised me, but that ending in your episode <laughs> surprised me okay I, did, I don't know why i did not see that coming and i loved it i loved how you took minnesota and the big like uh scandinavian norwegian Culture, yeah, cultural culture. population and integrated it into that and to find out that and it's hard i mean this is like under 10 minutes uh mm-hmm. i keep having to remind myself that that in that time you managed to take a story and by the end it's completely flipped on its head you know who you thought was this and who you thought was that you were you were all we were trying to make if we we figured if we made it move fast enough people wouldn't have time to figure out what was really going on to your point in terms of like the second guessing so right yeah i mean the stuff that the features we've done before which i'm sure we'll talk about later were, were were much more were you know they they were smaller in the sense that they, the scope had to be small because you didn't have a ton of money. So with this, we didn't frankly know how much money we were going to have. We just went in and pitched the biggest, baddest kind of – we just – I mean, we just had no idea what we really were going to have at our disposal. So when we pitched it, we kind of handed it in like, here you go. And when they selected it, we're like, oh, shit, okay, great. We can – this is – we'll make something big and we'll make something that has a lot more locations than any of the features we've done. And I think more than anything for us, we were excited to play in a little bit bigger. Like, although, like I said, the runtime altogether between all every segment, although it's one big episode in our minds, was only 24 minutes. This was more toys and more resources and more crew and anything that we'd ever had before. So yeah. we we took we took full advantage of that, really going into it, not knowing that we would have that. We always figured we'd have to scale back some stuff, but yeah. we able we were able to deliver. And you know, we shot in, in uh, Vancouver, and the crew was. Very experienced. They knew how to move fast because they mostly work in television, and they were able to deliver what you saw. And, yeah. and frankly, I think a lot of people in the lead up to production, they kept kind of slyly telling us, "Hey, you might might want to cut a couple of pages out of this because you have a lot going on." And we were like, "Oh, we're good. We're good." Which is part confidence, part naivete, mostly confidence because I think you know we cut our first two features, so we really know what we need and what we don't need. So mm-hmm. when we we're, we're like. We know that we have to get to this scene because this scene leads to that scene and that scene leads to this scene. And a lot of the filmmakers, uh, um, a lot of the filmmakers that were filming before us, you know, came up to us with like these bug eyes, like looking at us with like PTSD, like guys, this is crazy fast. You have to prepare yourself. And we're like, okay, we'll we'll figure it out. And we just we just rolled with the punches, and 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 we're very fortunate that we had everybody on the same page and was able to capture what we needed because. 
But all the other episodes are fantastic. They're 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 a bit more contained than what we did. Ours is like in so many different locations, so many yeah. different characters. Yeah, we don't repeat one. We literally don't repeat one location. It's like yeah. we're onto the next, onto the next. It's like running through the forest to this. To your place point, keeping up, keeping ahead of the audience because we don't want them to guess exactly where we, where we were That's going. That's the turn, twists and turns. Now, Adam, when Fifty States of Fright does come out, do you know how it's going to be presented to us? Is it going to be thirty minutes, uh, three separate segments? It's gonna, is it going to uh, be an? It's going to be. I don't. I can't really answer that. What I would. I think the. I, I really don't know. I would imagine. I don't think it's going to be from what I've seen of what they've done with the other uh, Quibi shows. Is I don't think they're rolling them out like Quibi originally did, which was drop our first episode, which was nine minutes, and then our sex, second episode the next day, which is another eight minutes, and then the third one. I think you're going to be able to watch it kind of like all the way through, like still as the episodes, but in one sitting you'll be able to sit and okay. watch it. That's yeah. how I I've imagine. Been, yeah, so I've been watching – I have Roku, so I've been watching it. It's not that different than – Netflix. Yeah. Frankly, the only difference is there's commercial breaks. Like if you'll watch one episode, yeah. it's 10 minutes, but there'll be commercials and then you'll jump to the it's, next it's one. So what's it's called, kind of like, it's what's called AVOD, Advertising Video On Demand. Exactly. Yep, exactly. exactly. Yeah. So yeah, there, there's a lot of, I mean, the stuff that's coming over, there's a lot of, not to be a big Quibi show, but there's a lot of stuff on there that got lost because Quibi came and went so fast. There's yeah. a lot of really cool stuff on Quibi um, that's now on Roku. So check it out. Yeah. Now did Sam, uh, and company give you guys autonomy when it comes to, when it came to your segment with casting and just complete 100%. control. Hundred percent. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, we, we handed in the script. We got notes from the team, and then we did a read through. We did a table read uh, with Sam and a few other people. And Sam, one of the highlights, one of the highlights of our career thus far was having Sam Raimi read a character named Ash. <laughs> From our, from our <laughs> from episode, the evil dad. <laughs> his name's Ashley, but people in the in our episode call him Ash. So he yeah. played that character as we did the read through, and Brian and I were just like nudging each other, like Sam, he's playing evil Ash. Evil dad. Yeah, yeah like, he had like, he had unsurprisingly, I, or maybe I was, I mean, he had some amazing notes, but they were all like practical notes, like on the day when you're on set, the blah, blah, blah. This guy that's been making movies since 1980. When did Evil Dead come out? 80, 81? 70, maybe. So I think it was he's the been end doing of the 70s. Yeah. yeah, yeah. so he's been doing this for a minute. And so he, the notes were just so great. They were filmmaker notes. They weren't, no disrespect to any execs listening to this, they weren't exec notes. They were filmmaker notes. Like yeah. he understood what would happen when you tried to translate this onto the screen. And so yeah. he would be able to pick out the pitfalls, the potential pitfalls. So he had amazing notes and, but yeah, beyond that, like the casting of it, I think be, people didn't understand what Quibi was going to be yet. So there was a bit of excitement and a bit of a buzz, although people were like, what is this thing? So, yeah. you know, we, uh, we, the casting director that we had that was assigned, I believe to all the episodes, you know, she was like, look, um, she got it to Asa Butterfield's agent and he really dug it. And so we had a, just a meeting with him via Zoom um, he was in the UK and I think his only, yeah, he didn't have any notes. His only question, I think Ace's only thing was like tone because, you know, tonally it, it, there's humor in it, but there's also a lot of blood yeah. in the sense that, and, and so we said like, we, we kept telling all the, cause one, you know, we kept telling all the people that were in the film, like, look, this hat, we want to have humor because these are young, these are young men in a fraternity uh, going off into the woods and razzing each wanna, other. Uh, we we want to have that playfulness to it, but at the same time, we don't want the playfulness to undercut the horror. Yeah. So I think for everybody, their their real question was like, "What is this like? What are the comps like?" And and frankly, I don't mean to sound like we created something completely original. We were trying to come up with comps, and we had a hard time because it's not Scream is too kind of meta and tongue in cheek. 
And this was not that. Like there was humor, but, but there was some serious horror oh, into, yeah. in it too. It was, and so I, um, I think it was ever. I think it was balanced very nicely. Yeah, oh, thank, thank you. you. And so thank that you. was really that was Ace's only note, and all the cast. I mean, the, the producers were excited to get him. Um, and I think, frankly, for us, like we had start, we had when we when we met with him, we just well, we should probably watch a little bit of Sex Education, which is on Netflix, and we were like, oh, okay, this guy's this guy's a, this guy's a pretty big deal. And yeah. he also, um, we've worked with a lot of really great performers, and he is he is he was the most maybe the most technical we'd ever worked with in the sense that like you give him a note and he would execute it like to perfection, almost like, like an athlete. Yeah. But athlete can just knows his body and can do whatever he needs to do. Like he knew, be like, can you do it with this, this, and this? He goes, okay, goes and does it, comes right back, and he's just like, wow, that was incredible. Can you pause for two seconds, give him a chance to do this thing before do it? No problem, like no problem. Awesome. Uh, He was. It was, and and the important thing was also because he was. He was our main character. You know, his willingness to just kind of just go into it and just jump in. It trickled down to the rest of the cast because the other the other boys. That were the other young men, rather that were that were the first fraternity brothers. They got along so well. Like those two were like a little. They were, those four were like a gaggle across the. Like they would whenever we you know move on to the next shot, those four would like just kind of run off to the craft services or run off to a tanner. They were always together, and that camaraderie. I think. I mean, shows I suppose we could have. Shows up I, on I screen. suppose we could have. Yeah, exactly, happy. Adam. It yeah. it came through on the screen. It really did. Oh, yeah, they were. They, they met each hanging, other. Yeah. They met each other on the trailer before, you know, a few hours before we started rolling. So wow. it's like we were we were fortunate that the chemistry was great between between the four of them. The character that plays the Ash character, Ashley Alex Fitzalan, uh, we had seen um, we had seen his Netflix show, and we were talking about the character, and we were trying to figure out how we cast this guy, or whatever. And we're like, well, it's just like the Harry character in the show on Netflix or whatever. And we're like, why don't we just go get that guy because he's awesome? <laughs> and we were able to do it. That was like. It's like the first time in our careers we were ever, you know, you have the star power of Sam Raimi and, you know, yeah. and the Quibi and everybody was really excited about it and didn't know what it was going to be. So there was a lot of like mystery behind it and people were excited to just kind of be part of it because everybody was being part of it and let's join it. And that uh, was great because we were like, oh, we can go get the people we want because, you know, if you're making a movie and you're working in Hollywood, yeah. that is can be a tricky path. That's yeah. the, you know, that's the hard part of getting a movie made. It's like how you put the movie together, like who, you know, the worth of actors and all this kind of stuff, which is stuff that, it's insane. you know, it's aside, it's insane. yeah, it's insane inside of the creative stuff. So we were just like creative, creative. We, this guy is perfect. This is who we kind of write, wrote the character for. Let's go get that guy. We can get that guy. Let's, you know I mean? Like you never been in that, in yeah. that position. We can go, we can go get that guy. And then we went and got him and he knocked it out of the park too. I mean, it, they all did. Everybody just, everybody did. They so, worked, yeah, they, they worked their butts off. So let's go now to your guys' first feature film, Delivery the Beast Within. It was like it was a found footage type film. Uh, I'm assuming it being your first feature film, as a lot of independent films, you had a very tight, small budget. Uh, <laughs> how did that story come together? Well, and a question is, is found footage, making a found footage film uh, more... Is it cheaper to make as opposed to other type of films? So, or was just the the idea for delivery was a found footage type film from the very beginning? Yeah, from the beginning. From the beginning. Yeah, from the beginning. And just a bit of history: when we conceived that idea, this was back. This is before when we conceived it. The original Paranormal hadn't even come out yet. 
So the only things that were really kind of in the ether, Cloverfield had come out the year before, but nobody was thinking that a $30 million movie can be replicated as a whatever. Mm -hmm. And then there was a film called Lake Mungo out of Australia, which is fantastic. Okay. Fantastic. So, One of the best films. And so the only thing that felt like a real comp was Lake Mungo was much more, it was much closer to what we wanted to, what we were pitching our manager was much closer to Lake Mungo than it was to Cloverfield. So, um, yeah, I, I, it was built into the conceit. It was built into the idea that like we, everything that you saw was when it was what we conceived initially. You know, first act is, is, is a reality show. The second act is the behind the scenes of the show. The third act, it kind of devolves into what, what you would off that time call a, you know, more of a, of a found footage film. So it helped us in the fact that we financed the film ourselves. We made it for 48 grand. We just, we wrote checks uh, between ourselves and our, our wives. Uh, we, we wrote those checks and, and we owned the film outright, which was great. But um, at the time, you know, there wasn't a lot to compare it to. I mean, in, subsequently, after we, after Paranormal came out, we had just had our finished, we had just finished our first draft. And so people were much more open to taking a meeting about kind of an unconventional horror film. Mm-hmm. But we weren't, it was not, we weren't riding any wave. There was no wave when we started the concept for it. Uh, it just so happened that the wave broke as we were ready to go out and start taking meetings. And once we started taking meetings, people were very enthusiastic and they loved the idea, but they were less than enthused with the way that we wanted to approach it, which was... <laughs> they got a little scared. <laughs> we, you know, we... I sh- you could tell the Oren story, the Oren Pelly story, but I was going to say the way we wanted to approach it scared people off, and that's why we ended up doing it ourselves. Yeah. Now so we. Oh, go on, Adam. Yeah. So, so our manager, Mark Manis, uh, World Builder Entertainment, a little plug for him. He's uh, he. Uh, we pitched him this idea. We were like, "There's this movie that called Paranormal Activity." It's a found footage movie. Can you get us a copy so we can see what he did? Because it's you know it hadn't come out yet. And he was like, "Let me check." Got back to us quickly thereafter. Was like, "I absolutely cannot get you a copy of that movie because it's on lock and key. You know nobody knows, but I can do. I can get you a meeting with Oren Pelly, the director." Mm-hmm. You're like, "Cool." At this point, Oren Pelly was a no-name filmmaker who had a movie that hadn't come out yet. So we met with Oren, and. We were like, hey, the nicest guy you'll ever meet, like literally the nicest guy you'll ever meet. And we were like, oh, this is what we're thinking about doing. You know, we just wanted to pick his brain. How did you do it? And he was like, literally brought pieces of paper. He's like, this is how I did it. Like, this is what I did. Like, I did this and I did this and then this. And we were like, can we keep that? Because we just wanted to be like, this is perfect. We wanted to keep the format of all this. So, you know, and then, of course, Paranormal Activity comes out. Boom. It's huge. Like, and. He's this was like racist. two. We met him two months before it, it dropped. So before it dropped. at the end of the meeting, we were just like, "So what's happening with your movie?" He's like, "Well," and he kind of had like a little look. And then two months later, we went to sit on a midnight screening, packed house, and it blew up. I mean, it changed independent filmmaking. It changed micro budget filmmaking forever. I got, I, I got to put in my opinion on paranormal. I love paranormal activity. I'm, Same here. I mean, I, 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 I love it. Okay, now. Oren made this movie for what's he says it what what's stated in the media for ten grand. Yeah, somewhere around there. Ish. Yeah, yeah. Ten Ish. grand. The movie just made just under a hundred and ninety million dollars <laughs> worldwide. I mean Which is talk why about he's retired. That's talk, why he's retired. <laughs> talk about return on investment right there. But in regards 100%. to paranormal activity, besides it being a great movie, the way they marketed it. With the, do you guys remember the marketing yeah. of the people yeah. sitting in the in the movie hear, theater? You, you know, click on the thing you want it to be in the movie, and then showing the audience 
in the trailer reacting to it. Yeah. That got us, man. Like, we were there. There was a line. It was packed. And nobody knew anything other than the trailer. Like, yeah. I miss I miss that kind of camaraderie that you get with that kind of stuff. Like, I, there's a number of those experiences Brian and I have had over the years. I feel like that's kind of going away. I mean, the pandemic is a huge part. Hopefully, once we get over this hump and what have you, that we can get back to that kind of thing. Because I really, I really do miss... I may not watch every movie that way, yeah. but I do miss like going to see the original, yeah. you know, going to see like the Matrix, like the Matrix sequel because the Matrix, nobody knew what that was. But like those like, yeah, right behind Brian. There you go. <laughs> I just saw I just saw the trailer for the new one today. So it's on my mind. I'm not going to watch it. I'm just going to. I know. The watch it. But the marketing they did for Paranormal Active, it was unique. Brilliant. It worked. And of course, you have to deliver. And they did with the movie. It absolutely, absolutely delivered. Good. It was just brilliantly done. So when you guys were doing delivery and you financed it yourself, um, did you have it all planned out up to post-production and then you were hoping to get it into the film festivals for distribution? How did it play out after filming ended? Well, after filming ended... Go ahead. I was going to say, after filming ended, we... our our cinematographer was also going to be editing the film and and the mountain of footage that we handed over which he knew because he shot it was just a lot of film it was just a lot of footage because we shot it like a reality show right so our cameras were constantly rolling i like a lot of takes you know uh and so hours and hours and hours it was just a lot of footage and ultimately he couldn't get to it in the speed in which we needed him to um and so ultimately we ended up cutting it ourselves which i think for what for without a doubt was the best thing we could have done. But a, a year had passed between going from him to another editor. Finally, we cut it ourselves. So to answer your question, plan, no. Like our plan was to get it in the can. Our plan was to get it done. And then after that, it was figure like, it out. all right, figure it out. And so we just, we cut ourselves. Like we would cut sequences independently. I, we would just do it on our laptops at our kitchen table and then ultimately put it together. And I remember, um, after that, we, 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 we again, we tried, it, it it was kind of like your kid trying on the adult clothes. It was like we tried to build this like a real studio film, but for a micro micro budget. So we held, we had a we had a test screen. So we, and we we had a friend that hosted it. We rented a theater. We had a bunch of people come. Some people we knew, but we invited and encouraged people to bring people we did not know. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately, we weren't there at the screening to greet anybody. But at the end, we came out. But we listened in from the back as they had questions and notes. And a big discussion kind of started to brew in the crowd for what we could hear. And once we had once we heard that, we were like, okay, I think that's good so. because. People aren't like a lot of times you'll see a movie, you just kind of go, okay, that was good, and just walk out like it just leaves your brain. But I think this film didn't do that. And I think that helped because aside from the ending of it, which had a strong ending, it also created a little bit of a debate, which mm-hmm. we were hoping might happen, but yeah. we didn't, you just never can know. And um, after that, it was just like, look, this is incredibly tiny. We're just going to hope we get into a film festival. And, but more than anything, I think our goals from the beginning were very, very modest. Like our goal was like, at the time, IFC Midnight was like the go-to place if you had a low independent horror film that you wanted to get, you know, like yeah. that was the stamp of approval. It made IFC, IFC Midnight or went to Magnet and then it was on VOD. And yeah, it's like, yeah. congratulations, you've arrived. Mm-hmm. Our, our goals were, in, were incredibly modest. And so after, you know, after we got into LA Film Festival and we sold out of that, that was our premiere. That, so that's where the world premiered. We, we played it. You know, Sigis, which was like for us like a massive deal, which is like the grandfather of all genre festivals in Spain. And we played at festivals 
like New Orleans Film Festival and, and films and festival like Screen Fest in LA, places that were that were horror film festivals and genre film festivals, but also stuff that wasn't. And so that was kind of where this we kind of had this really interesting audience because it was for people that that necessarily said that they didn't like horror films, but they 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 found this one interesting. Uh-huh. But then also horror films, I think horror fans also appreciated because it took an interesting way into a traditional yeah. horror horror film idea. So we had no plan. We just hoped that it would, it would end out. up on DVD. It, it, hope it would end up on DVD. And I think because of that, it, it exceeded. It wildly exceeded. But also, I said I'll say this. I, I said to a friend of mine after we filmed it, he was like, "How did it go?" And I was like, "I don't know. I don't know if people are going to like this, but I know." that I'm really proud of it. Yeah, we're and proud of it. We're proud of it. We're proud of it. And I think that more than anything, it was the movie we set out to make. Mm-hmm. And so you just hope that people are, are going to are want to go along for the ride that you created because it's not everyone's cup of tea. But for the people that love it, like they really love it. And for other people, they'll say it's too slow. And yeah. that's fine. We knew that going in. Well, you're but, you're but, never going to make anybody, everybody happy. Absolutely. If you can make yourself happy, like yeah. that was the thing. If you can make yourself happy, you'll be one for two. <laughs> exactly exactly you know so I mean? so adam after the the film hit all these festivals how yeah. soon before you guys got a legitimate distribution offer uh, right out of our first festival like we wow so this is how this is how it worked we finished passed the deadline for sundance slam dance like all all the big festivals we're like, okay, what's the next biggest festival coming up that we could probably hit? It's LA Film Festival in June. So the submission time was like February or I want to say February, maybe yeah. late January or February of that year. So we're like, okay, so we submit and we get it. Brian gets a call. Is this a world premiere? You know, people are concerned about world premieres and how they program films and everything. And there's all these politics that go involved. Like, I don't know much about it, but we know enough now. And it's like, <clears throat> is it a world premiere? Yes, it is. We shot it all around LA. Cool. And then, like, literally, I think later that left next day, like, you got we got an email. Like, there's internal momentum. People like it. And then they asked us, asked us to be part of the festival. And there was no better place to really. I mean, I I miss LA Film Festival. It no longer exists. But we've had two films premiere at LA Film Festival. Had two films premiere at LA Film Festival. No better place for our, our first movie, an LA story. Everything takes place in LA. We shot it all over L.A., got some permits, didn't get other permits. You know, we did the whole kind of going back to our days running around in the backyard with a VHS camera. Yeah. We did a little bit, you know, we did a little bit of that, too, with this. Like, you just have to. You got to You gotta sometimes be like, oh, we got to go get that shot of the thing on the pier in Santa Monica, and we don't have the 1200 bucks to, like, pay for the permit. All right, we'll just roll by in a car. With, you know what I mean? We did the whole thing. You know, like, you just... Sometimes you just got to do though. Yeah. Do that. And that's what we did. So it was, we were super excited. And the LA Film Festival threw an amazing festival. And yeah, we sold out of there. And once you sell or once you're in a larger festival, our experience has been festivals start calling you and they start emailing. Yeah. yeah we weren't very aggressive. We never submitted to anybody else. Like yeah, that we was the only festival we've ever submitted to. And we were just, not very just, aggressive afterwards. Yeah. I wish we would have. We would just didn't know. And so after everything we got into after that was people reaching out to us, but we didn't submit to some of the other festivals that we're fans of just because we just were like, oh, well, it's already sold. So what's the next step? So, um, yeah, we were, we were, we traveled as much as we could, you know, to different places, to the UK and, and just across the country. And, and, you know, that was, that was incredible. That, you'll never be able to, we went from New Orleans Film Festival to the Telluride Horror Show in like a three-day span. I think we had the Screen Fest the festival uh, a couple of days before that. So we were in like three different cities in a week. 
And you have to take advantage of that because that doesn't, first off, if you're fortunate enough, your films start going straight to theater or to yeah. larger flaps, so you don't have that experience. So mm -hmm. we took full advantage of it and, and saw as much as we could and got out and met a lot of really incredible filmmakers and, and programmers. And so, when, a lot of so when delivery, you know, completed its, you know, uh -huh. journey and it got distribution, did you guys feel like, you know what, we did it, we've made it, we've arrived, you know, our first feature film, uh, we took a risk, we put our own money into it, and everything really worked out. What well, what was your feelings? Um, I don't know. I mean, we always we're just always on. We're always working on so many things. So that it was like by the time the f delivery had done its festival run and stuff, we were. I mean, we're two years out from when we like finished it and all that kind of stuff, and it's just doing this thing. And now we just get to like. The next meet film. other filmmakers and, and travel around and like talk to people like yourself about the filmmaking process which is we love doing so that was awesome but we were already on to the, to the next thing i mean that's how we got in our, our our next movie intruders was basically some producers saw the movie really liked it wanted to find something with us and we ended up doing a movie with them so that's kind of what works but we were just kind of we're always on to the next thing like we got right now we got a bunch of other projects that we're just trying it because it's so hard to it's even gotten harder now, but to get movies made, it's just, yeah. you know, we're, we're kind of at the point now where we're like, okay, we've, we've done the pay for your own independent movie. And now it's like now continuing to be productive and continuing to churn out movies and make more movies is the work is the work before you get to get to make the movie. So yeah. it's like, now we're doing, now we're, now we're studying for the test and you just study and study and study and study until you get to take the test, which is making the movie. And it's like, you know, that's, that's where we're at now and that's where we were after delivery we just okay. working on the next thing writing another script we yep. always have ideas we just generate ideas all the time he's brian's texting me in the middle of the night i'm emailing him i got this idea you know like you just got to continue to work and that's what we love about it just continue to tell stories so exactly it's just... let, let, we're almost out of time but let's talk a little yeah. bit about intruders okay was the intention for that movie and the twist always to be a wrong house, wrong victim type of scenario, Brian? Yeah, I mean, we, you know, uh, David White, TJ Sinfeld, who um, wrote Intruders, you know, we had read that a couple years prior because they're represented by the same manager. So that's the one thing that we that really stuck out to us. If you've seen the film, for those who've seen the film or have seen the trailer, they unfortunately spoil some of it. That was the moment that we were like, oh, we got to do this movie. Like when you saw it, when you see that moment, that's the moment it really pulls the rug out from under the audience. And it was uh -huh. really clever and it was well written. They're very good writers. We're actually, we just, I think they should be writing. If they're, if they're watching this, they should be starting today because we just started on a new project with them, which we're excited about. I think today we just got to go ahead. So, um, they, so yeah, I mean, that's, well, thanks. Yeah. So that's what we're, that's what we were excited about. That It was that twist, right? Like yeah. that was the, that was the, that was the point of doing the film. So they, you know, when we got, when we got that, it was a matter of like, you know, we had producers that said, uh -huh. we have money, let's make a film. And, and ultimately we had to find that script. Unfortunately, it was, it was under someone else's option. It came out from under option. And in terms you were talking about, you know, when you felt after delivery, did you feel like you had made it? Well, no, because you're constantly moving on. So, you know, delivery premiered in May of whatever year that was. We were shooting Intruders in August. Wow. And so like that never that never happens. Like it never happens that fast when you have stuff uh -huh. back to back to back. So, um, yeah, we were just happy that a script of that quality was was available and it can be made for the money we had. So that's what we and I think 
honestly, that's the credit. It's a credit to those guys, the people that they were able to get for that film. You know, Beth Reesgraff, you know, Martin Starr, yeah. Rory Culkin, Matt Kessie, Rory Culkin, um, and, and our guy Josh Michael. Josh Michael, who's in, who's in, who's in our, 50 states. He was 50, 50. We wrote a part for him in 50 states. <laughs> all those guys have, all those guy guys have gone on to do really good work, and I think it's because it was a really strong script, and I and, and it had something for everybody that exactly. they thought they could bring. Yeah. Now, Intruders was originally titled Shut In. Uh, yep. I'm assuming that was distributors are the ones that usually like to change titles. Is that what happened yep. here? Yeah, I, I still have a Shut In poster on my wall behind I me. I think Brian are the only ones. I think they made two Shut In posters. Well, the boys have it. Uh, David oh, did, oh, so there's four. They made four Shut In posters, and me and Brian and the writers, TJ and David, are the only people that have the Shut In poster, and that's what I have up. <laughs> the reason I remember because uh, E1. E1 Momentum Pictures distributed it. And so I remember speaking with uh, the one of the marketers and he kind of let slip like, yeah, we're gonna have to change the title. I'm like, wait, what? Uh, and he was like, he was like, he kind of like stopped for a second. He was like, yeah, well, there's another film coming out with Naomi Watts called Shut In and we don't want to get confused. And I'm yeah. thinking, but our, our film is in the can. That, they just started production. So, you know, it's unfortunate because Shut In, it's, the, it's what the movie's about, right? Yeah. It's about, it's about, it's about, it's about her. Woman. It's about her, not the not the intruders. So to call it intruders, which is a very generic title. But so look, we're two for two on features being, you know, delivery. The Beast Within was originally delivery, as mm -hmm. in, you know, what it was. So excuse me, like I said, we're two for two on title changes for our features. So we're just, I mean, we'll see. If at this at this point, we just we don't get attached to titles because we know that is not in our hands. Yeah. Like it's no matter. Not, I mean, we owned really all isn't. of delivery. We owned all of delivery. And we still, they still change the title. So it's like you go to the distributor and then they make the changes how they want to market it. And you just kind of go until you're like Peter Jackson or Steven Spielberg where you can actually like say what you want for yeah. the marketing, you have an idea. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's really just a title. Uh, it's the work yeah. that counts. Now, yeah. you guys said you, you're constantly coming up with ideas and, and, and scripts and so on. What, uh, because we really are almost out of time, Yep. What should we look forward to uh, coming out you know, from both you guys in the near future? Um, okay, so yeah. Uh, Brian is staying out of this one. I'll talk, I'll just, I'll re-hit on the one that we just got the go-ahead today. It's a Hitchcockian thriller, has rear window vibes to it uh, that TJ and David of Two Road Intruders uh, are going to write after this, guys, if you're watching, get to writing. And then uh, hopefully, you know, hopefully that script will be ready sometime spring of next year. We get that baby going. And then, Brian, you can tell them about Yeah, we have, we have another project we, that's called Turnkey, which is, um, you know, uh, the pitch for that is like imagine if Chris Nolan did a haunted house story. So, you know, it's, it's, it's obviously got more on its mind than just a traditional haunting. So that's something that we have some producers on board that we're excited about and, and, and are going to try to get off the ground, see if we can get some actors attached to that yeah. but that's something that's that's one of our passions uh one of our passion projects we have a few others as well um but but those are the two that we're hoping to get off the ground uh wow. soonest well so, i gotta yeah. tell you guys listening to you two for the last hour it's been inspirational you know oh, childhood friends <laughs> who shared a passion and you guys are doing it for work and you're having fun and you love what you do and uh -huh. producing quality stuff. I mean, that that's inspiration. And congratulations. I mean, uh, oh, there's no thanks. other word that can, you know, describe it. Congratulations. That's awesome. I love hearing stories like these. And I know there's a 
a boatload of success left down the road for you guys and things are only going to get bigger and better as things move on and so, before we go is there any final thoughts you guys want to share let's come back and do this again when we Absolutely. get when the next when the next when the next thing goes but yeah nothing really just if anybody's out there wanting to make movies don't give me horror movies don't let yeah, anybody just, tell just you it. you can't don't tell anybody don't tell anybody you can't because yeah we have HD quality stuff in a phone now. You can exactly. do anything. I mean, exactly. Just do anything you want, you know. And Don't I remember the days. Yeah. I had a VHS camcorder. You yeah. know, I remember those days. Those things were like huge and clunky. <laughs> and the tapes, oh my God. You guys have yeah. been great. Thank you so much for coming right. on our show and sharing your story. Um, can't wait to see the rest of 50 States of Fright when it comes out. Yeah. I'm Check looking out. forward to seeing all the other uh, uh, shorts in that in that sequence. I want to thank our audience for tuning in. Again, guys, 50 States of Fright, Delivery, Intruders. If you haven't seen these movies, please go ahead and check them out. You won't be disappointed. It's great work. Uh, so on behalf of Adam, Brian, and myself, stay safe. Again, thank you for tuning in. Till next time, stay walking. Good night.